0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.
1: Awareness of the limits of our knowledge is also awareness of the fact that what we know may turn out to be wrong or inexact. Only by keeping in mind that our beliefs may turn out to be wrong is it possible to free ourselves from wrong ideas and to learn. To learn something, it is necessary to have the courage to accept that what we think we know, including our most rooted convictions, may be wrong, or at least naive, shadows on the walls of Plato's cave.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the CEO Series on the B2B Growth Show. I'm your host, John Belazare, editor of the CEO Playbook. An online publication full of stories from real CEOs and practical sage advice for founders and CEOs of high growth companies. Today, we'll be talking about being present. I'm fortunate to have experienced a number of successes over the past 20 years or so being CEO. But sometimes, especially as I start a new venture, I get this feeling. It starts deep in the pit of my stomach. It's hard to describe. It's like a cross between butterflies and sharp, fluttering stomach pain. Sometimes, it manifests itself as a pain on the left side of my neck. That's really where I feel it these days. It feels like a burning, humming sound. The buzz you might hear at a power substation full of large transformers. Other times, it manifests itself as an acute insomnia. I'm up all hours of the night thinking about all sorts of bad things that may happen. I didn't know what to call this experience until about a year ago when a friend gave me a name for it, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a brew of negative emotions, mostly, including anxiety, depression, low self-esteem. These emotions often bubble up over, spoiling the sense of accomplishment and ability within successful leaders. One way to overcome being frozen by imposter syndrome is by understanding the source of this emotional and physical turmoil. But tackling that muscle, the brain, between the ears is a real challenge for many. Fortunately for me, about a dozen years ago, I spent time with the coach that helped me unlock the secret passage to the source of this fear. It changed everything for me. The source is a volatile mixture of thought and emotion that teleports me to a different time and place where I'm gripped by that fear. For today's episode, I am joined by that coach, my close friend, Faye Mandel. Dr. Faye Mandel was born and raised in Bronx, New York City. She received her PhD in Counseling Psychology from Boston College. She created a new paradigm for mental health, merging quantum physics with psychology. This approach signals the inevitable merger of the hard sciences with the psychology of consciousness and awareness. It can be applied to the individual, groups, and organizations. In the field of organizational effectiveness, Her experience includes developing high-performance teams, executive coaching, strategic planning, and cultural transformation. She has worked for many Fortune 500 companies, as well as startups and nonprofits. Faye has developed a self-powerment model, which teaches people how to return to and stay in the present moment. It allows people to focus, be aware of choice, and be clear. It allows people to access the information and experience of living in the here and the now. Faye has written two books, The GPS for Self-Powerment and The Children's Book for Parents. She lives in Florida and has three children. Faye, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. So I was thinking about when we first met and how we first met. You were wearing a white suit. Beautiful white professional suit. We met at State Street, the offices where, you know, our companies were relocated sort of as temporary offices in Boston. And you came in and told us, you know, about what you did and the model. And I think you came in with Deb at the time. That's right. And the fact that you were looking to, you know, create a business around this model and teaching and so forth. And then I have another fond memory where we are walking through the streets of Soho actually It was Soho yes. summer days and you're giving me walking coaching. <laughs> (laughs) on the model and you know, you're like I think there was there was one where you you know, there's one finger pointed at you and like what how many fingers pointed back at me? So very insightful conversation and I'm very excited about talking to you on this podcast about the model because I think that a lot of CEOs can benefit from the tools that really are foundational to the model. And so we're gonna do that. But before we do, I would really like the listeners to get to know you a bit more. Mm -hmm. And so, first of all, you're joining us here from Florida. Yes. And what's that like, given what's going on in the world right now?
1: Yes, I live in Delray Beach, Florida, right across from the beach. And I am so grateful that I live here. And it's beautiful. It's breezy. It's warm. It's beachy. And it's very quiet. And I can, if I want a little tumult, I can walk up to Atlantic Avenue. And if I want a peace I can just stay home or go to the beach. And I am very grateful to live here and very lucky, I feel.
0: Hmm. What did you do before? Let's sort of take back, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in that part of the country or did you grow up someplace else?
1: I grew up in the Bronx in New York City. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and by the way, you still have a bit of your New York accent. <laughs> I'm sure I do. <laughs> so take yeah. us through your journey. So you, you grew up in the Bronx. Are you one of many kids? or?
1: I'm the youngest of two, and I wanted to be a prima ballerina at the Met. I wanted to be a classical ballet dancer. And I did that up until I was about 15 years old. But something happened in the sixth grade that was really important because in New York City, they had three classes for every grade. 5-1, for example, for the fifth grade. 5-1 was for the smart people. 5-2 was for the mediocre people. And 5-3 were for the ones who had a little trouble keeping up. And so I was always in 5-2 because I just wanted to get through school and dance. That's all I cared about. And then at the end of the fifth grade, we had to take this test, and this test was it was all about these geometric figures and things, no words. It was really wonderful. And I thought it was a phenomenal experience. I enjoyed the whole thing, and I left. And then my parents got a call from school about a week later that they had to come in and, of course, asked me what I did wrong. And I said I didn't do anything. But knowing me, I could have done something. But they went in and found out that out of all the people in New York City, I came out number one on this test. And so they had to move me immediately from 5'2 to five, one. Wow. And... I had to start dealing with my with my intellect and with my uh, intelligence and from the mind rather than from the body. And my, so my mm. first you know six years of school and you know eight, nine years of life were all about the information from my body and not from my mind.
0: Mm. So interesting. And where did you go to school after high school?
1: Well, I went to the State University of New York in Potsdam, mm-hmm. and I was going to be an elementary school teacher. And then I took my first psychology course, and it met my psychology professor, Mr. Gruber. I can still remember his name. He was a bass player as well as a psychology teacher, and he just changed my whole frame and taught me that I wanted to learn about how I could be helpful to people and how I could reduce their pain and suffering. And so I came home and said to my parents that I was going to be a psychologist, and they laughed because none of my parents, my family had never even gone, maybe one aunt somewhere along the line had gone to college, never mind to get a PhD. And so I decided I was going to do that. And I moved to Boston and got into Boston College for a master's in clinical psych and a PhD in counseling psych and finished that and then moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> and in Cambridge, there's an informal law that you must be going to school no matter how many letters or numbers or names you have after your name. Mm-hmm. So I went to Cambridge Adult Education, and I took out their book, and it was like 4,000 courses, and I wasn't going to go through those courses, and so I just thought I'd put my finger down. Little did I know at that time that random was the order of the universe, Mm -hmm. and so I put my hand down. I thought I'd take meditation or photography or something like that, and the course that my finger landed on was called Quantum Physics and the face of God. Mm. I had never taken a physics course in my entire educational experience. I didn't know what quantum physics was. I didn't know what what any kind of physics was. And I'm not a particularly religious human being. So it was hard for me to understand why my finger went to that. But I took it and the physicist by the name of Fred Allen Wolf, who was really extraordinary. And he taught me something essential, which changed my life and changed everybody else's life that I come into contact with. And he taught me the meaning of the equation E equals MC squared, which is energy equals matter times the speed of light squared. And if we could go the speed of light squared, then all solid things would be energy. And I said, that's ridiculous. This is a desk that I'm saying this is solid and whatever. But it started me on my journey to find out what was real mm. and what isn't real. Mm. And then then I began to recognize that all the things that I was doing from what I learned from my PhD about how to treat people and help them was an illusion. And I began to see the connection between quantum physics and mental health. And that's about the most random connection i have ever experienced because i do you know it was very very difficult to put those two ideas of quantum physics and mental health psychology together
0: right and i still They're orthogonal that you know one would not think that they have anything to do with
1: precisely them. That's mm-hmm. precisely it, John. And so, and it was a remarkable journey. And through it, I developed the model, which believes that all people who are not happy and who are mentally unstable or bipolar or depressed or anxious or whatever they want to call the DSM 3, are just in the wrong time space location. Mm. And that really became a very important concept and, and a way to frame how to get to the place of calm and peace and gratitude and a service and having gratitude just for having a life.
0: Hmm. Now Faye, when you got this epiphany, you had already finished your studies, right? Your I did. PhD. Yes, I did. And had you already started applying your expertise professionally? Were you working in an environment? What was that?
1: Yes, I was in private practice in Cambridge. I opened my own office.
0: Got it. Okay. And that's when the whole course framework, and then you decided to take this course and it sort of changed your whole. Yes. And what happened then? Did you continue your practice or make any changes to your practice? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Well, the model didn't come like zero one. Um, Yes, yes, of course. It was a process and Mm -hmm. I moved to Boston and I live right near Mass General Hospital at that place on, on Star Drive called If You Lived Here, You'd Be Home Now. And I think anybody who comes yeah, to yeah. Boston know area exactly knows right that here. place. And I began to, to, try, to try and assess what was it that I was trying to do and how did it work? And, and I worked on the two basic concepts and forms that are so embedded in the way that we experience our life that we don't know that we're prisoners because of them. And they are time and space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, most people just assume that time is, you know, an hour and 24 hours is a day and seven days is a week and it goes forward and then, you know, you get older and that's how time is. And that space is empty and we fill it up. And so those two concepts are really absolute forms in our system and in our beliefs about how time and space operate. In the quantum world, that's not how it works. In the quantum world, time and space time, for sure, is relative, because I'll give you two examples. One is, I you know, I'm a pretty fit person, and so I like to go on the treadmill and I run on the treadmill, and it's 15 minutes, and then it's 20 minutes then it's 23 minutes, and then it's 23 minutes, and then it's 23 minutes. And no matter how much I look down and how many times, that 23 minutes is expanded to at least 5 minutes minutes in linear time. Mm. And so how does that happen? Because it it happens as a result of a direct experience of how I'm experiencing time, not how time is a system that is imposed on me. Mm. The other one is that I go with a group of friends before the COVID, of course, and we would go out to dinner at seven and I'd look at my watch and it would be 11. I said, how could that be? It feels like we've only been here for an hour. And so time collapsed at that moment in time. And in my direct experience, I experienced time as, you know, one hour where it was really four hours of time. So we can, when we come to the present moment, which is what I'll talk about next we have access to direct experience and we have access to expanding our time or collapsing our time. And space in the model is used as where we put our attention. And it's also not empty. (laughs) Space is full of fields and forces and particles and it's teeming with energy and it is vast. But for the model's sake, we use space as where we put our attention because the present moment Mm -hmm. in personal terms are is expressed as i am mm-hmm. am is a present tense verb that lets us know we're in the present moment and i is a pronoun that lets us know that our attention needs to be focused on the information from our body so what i began to see so then after i left that course i began to be very curious about quantum physics and so I read a wonderful book called The Wooly Masters Through Mm the Thing. And then I I read many, 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 many other books. And I began to see that what happens in the world of the very small is not what happens in the the macro world, in the world as we perceive it with our five senses. Mm. And the more I studied it, the more exciting it was to me. And I said, if we, and we're all made up of just very small particles, atoms and billions of them and and systems and circulatory systems and organs, we're all made up of this, these small little things. And that if we could behave the way they behaved, our world would be very different. And so I began to study how the very small operates. And then I began to see some correlations between how that world operates and how people struggle with the real world in time and space and so i began to see a connection between quantum physics and time and space and presence and that those three concepts began to gel for me and i began to see that people who are unhappy are not in the present moment and that their whole problem is, is that they live in the wrong time space location. And so I began to plot the model in terms of the horizontal line being space and the vertical line being time. And I began to see where people who were angry are, and where people who were frightened are, and where people who are guilty are, and where they are in time and space. And then I began to see that those Became psychological problems for people if they're in the in the future worrying all the time and they, and they have no energy and they don't live in the present moment or if they're guilty and in living in the past and, and thinking about what they should have done or could have done did or would have done and then that's the timeline and then a space line became where you put your attention and it began to see that people were focused out on other people and things. And when they were focused outside of themselves, they were angry and anger had henchmen and those henchmen were judgments. And comparisons and negations and negative self-talk, and I began to see that all of those created the suffering, and that if we could get them to the present moment where the mind was quiet and we were listening to the information from our bodies, our bodies tell us it's very exciting what what happens in the body. I th- if I was reincarnated, John, I think I would be a cellular biologist at this point. <laughs> but. Um, very interested in the cells and the membranes of the cells and the membranes of the cells are very intelligent. And they sense and tell us, this is good for you, go forward. This is bad for you, go away. And there's billions of cells telling you, giving you this information moment by moment so that you can maintain your homeostasis and function at your best capacity. The body was created so that we can survive, number one, and function at the level that we were meant to be when the sperm hit the egg and we became us. And so that place is when the mind is quiet and you're listening to the superior intelligence of your body the body knows how to heal a cut you get a cut on Tuesday and on Saturday the cut is gone and so you what is you know how does the body know how to do that it has superior intelligence it knows how to t- create cells and, and antibodies and skin cells and all sorts of things to heal the body and it also knows how on a psychological level to recalibrate us back to the present moment and that was the major aha of the model, is that when you're living in the present moment, that's when you can access the superior intelligence of the body. And so from the late 1700s, when Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, we lost our capacity to know that I am that I am. And that's a whole different ballgame. You experience life totally differently you experience it through direct experience, not through mental maps and mental representations. And it is the place where you can maximize your potential as a human being, is living in the present moment.
0: Mm. And so you came to this realization during you know, the ensuing years after yes. the first epiphany. Yes. And how did it affect your practice? Obviously you, you started noticing things differently when people would come to your private practice totally. and talk about the problems that they were having. And then you started to see the patterns you talked about.
1: Yes. yes. And then
0: you then sort of mapped out, you know, sort of this, this common thread among them and that and that was that they weren't present and they didn't understand how to do this. And then yes. so then you built a framework which you now refer to as the model. And did you then start using the model in your practice? Or did it become like a separate project where you were studying and developing it and and honing it? And just tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So it was a gradual transition. Mm -hmm. But I really recognized that talking about one's problems reinforces the neural pathways. And we wanted to extinguish those neural pathways. So I said to myself that, oh, my God, all the things that I learned about in school and what they taught me in school was not right, <laughs> and and it was very it was very startling because I went for a master's a two year master's and, and wrote a master's thesis and then I went for a PhD and did my doctoral dissertation and it was all about using content to solve the problems and the startling fact was that it's not about talking about your problems it's about getting rid of the problems and getting into the time space location where those problems don't exist. So it was almost magical in a very strange way. But I knew mm. I was going to have a lot of problems because a lot of people spent a lot of time learning about, as I did, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of years, learning mm. about how to practice psychology and help people through the old paradigm model. And so I began to cautiously bring my model into my sessions, and what I saw was dramatic transformations in people's ability to extinguish the actual content of what their problem was and come to this place of direct experience where the mind is quiet and they were listening to the information from their bodies and their bodies would tell them this is good for you go forward this is bad for you go away and then it would give you the actions that you need to take because it would look at the DNA and it would look at the algorithms and the codes that the body has and it would put you in right action and all of that happened without any thought and I said oh my goodness what that why then do we have thought and then I realized that what thought is, is the capacity to combine an interaction with the environment to create innovation and creativity so that we can learn the secrets of how nature actually operates. Hmm. So when you're dealing with things that are natural they are all already in your body you already know exactly how to be a mama for example a lioness knows how to be a mama to her cubs and a cat knows how to be a mama to her kittens and we know how to be mamas yet there's a three billion dollar industry of books that are about parenting and that's only because people are connected to their natural information. Of being a human. A cat knows how to be a cat. You you know, I can talk to my, my cat from today to tomorrow and he'll do exactly what he wants to do. But, and a lion knows how to be a lion and we know how to be humans. But that information is only accessible when we are listening to the information from our bodies.
0: Got it. So let's dig into the model and we'll come back to applications and how it relates to CEOs in a second. And because we've been sort of implicitly talking about this system and and your journey of discovery. So take us from the very beginning. You call it the self-powerment model, correct? Yes. And so what are the core elements of the model? Just take it from the top, maybe use an example, or maybe use me as your patient or something like that. Oh. Take the listeners through that.
1: Okay. What I want to do is I just want to quickly go over seven definitions that we use in the model, because they, the definitions that the culture uses to define these words are inaccurate. Okay. So the first one is culture in itself. A culture actually teaches us that the things that are natural are not good for us. And so it teaches us that, for example, anxiety is bad. There are more women on anti-anxiety drugs than on any other drug in our country. Now, anxiety in our model is a feeling And I just want to read you, this is from a book called The Strange Order of Things by Antonio Damasio, and Antonio Damasio is a professor of neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy, and director of the Brain and Creativity Institute at the University of Southern California. And this is how he defines feeling. Feelings are for life regulation, providers of information concerning basic homeostasis or the social conditions of our lives. Feelings tell us about risks, danger, and ongoing crisis that need to be averted. They can inform us about opportunities. They can guide us towards behaviors that will improve our overall homeostasis and in the process make us better human beings, more responsible for our own future and the future of others. That is not how the culture has defined feelings. It defines feelings as impulsive and histrionic, and if you're a woman premenstrual and they are to be avoided at all costs because they, you don't have any control over yourself when you're experiencing feelings and acting on those. And that's just diametrically opposed to what Antonio Damasio says and what Faye Mandel says, which is feelings are information from the body that tell you when you are losing your Homeostasis, losing your place, at your maximum functioning, and inherent in the experience of the feeling is an action that you need to take so that you can recalibrate yourself back to the present. That's how important feelings are. And feelings are absolutely negated by our culture. So that's the first. Hmm. The second one is attention. Attention is key because we can choose where to put our attention. And for those of you who are listening, and even you, John, if you could just notice two items in the room that you're in. So I'm going to ask you to put your attention on the first item. Mm -hmm. I'm using my mouse and I'm using my glasses. So I'm putting my attention Mm -hmm. on my mouse. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to ask you to take the attention off the mouse and put it on the glasses mm-hmm. and take it off the glasses, put it back on the mouse mm-hmm. and then take that off and put it back on listening to me. Did you feel that with my prompts, you could actually choose where to put your attention? I'm going to ask you to answer that, John.
0: Well, I, I chose what you chose, what you told me to choose. Yes. Yes. So I did it. I did it. Yes.
1: But, but, that you, but you have the capacity to take, to take your attention and put it wherever you want. Yes.
0: Yes, yes. But I I could consciously shift my attention to what you told me, what you suggested I shift it to. Yes.
1: Exactly. So what I, I really recognize is that most people have no idea about that. They get pulled into reactions. They get pulled into defensive responses. They get pulled into conflict. And they don't know that they have the choice to create a different choice and to reframe it in a different way so that they can proact on the situation rather than react to the situation. Right. So when you're in the present moment, you intentionally are aware of where you're putting your attention, how much of it, how much time, and how much effort are you giving that attention moment by moment by moment. So we have culture, we have attention, we just did feelings, and now we're going to do thoughts. When you think about something, you move in linear time. Therefore, thought is always an abstraction. And what thought does is it defines the item by taking away what thought isn't. So if I say to you, I want you to think about a table, you'll think about a table, but I'll think about a very different table and somebody else will think about a very different table. But if I give you the direct experience, if you walk into my dining room, you see my table, you know what my table looks like. So thought is much more general than direct experience, which is particular to the absolute experience that you have. So thought is creative and innovative. It lets us partner with nature. But most of the thoughts that people have are thoughts that have been used by feelings, because feelings need to be attended to, to jumpstart the superior intelligence of the body. And if you don't pay attention to the feeling, which the culture tells us adamantly do not pay attention, then the feeling has to get discharged. And it creates a thought Put yourself on a thought like a horseback rider on a horse and gets discharged that way. So the three basic feelings that are information about be, uh, staying in the present moment are anxiety, frustration, and sadness. And when you don't attend to those feelings, they get piggybacked onto thoughts. And anxiety takes us to thoughts about the future and is experienced as a feeling thought of worry. Frustration, when it's not attended to, takes us to other people and things and negative self-talk and is experienced by us as anger, comparisons, judgments, negations, and negative self-talk. And when sadness is not being paid attention to, it creates thoughts about the past, which take us to guilt, shame, and regret. So you think you're thinking a thought, but most of the time, you're thinking a thought that was created by a feeling, and it's like chocolate syrup and milk. You you go to one aisle in the the supermarket to buy chocolate syrup and one aisle in the supermarket to buy milk. But when you mix the two together, you can't tell them apart. So when you're thinking a thought, you actually believe that that thought is your thought. You don't have any awareness that it's created by a feeling. And the way to get awareness about that is not to listen to the content of the thought, but listen to how the thought is created so that you can pick out the time-space words. So future words, which are created by anxiety and experienced as worry, are what if, should, always, ever. Thoughts that are created by frustration, by not paying attention to the frustration, are anger in the form of other people and things... And as experienced as anger, comparisons, judgments, negations, and negative self-talk, but are experienced as focused on other people and things and not on your own listening to your own body. And the final one is sadness, which is says that you have to close an experience. And if you don't pay attention to it, it creates thoughts about the past. And the words are could have, would have, should have, did, was, and all the past tenses. And is experienced emotionally as shame, regret, or guilt. So what the model says, and then I'll stop, is that shame, regret, guilt, anger, judgments, comparisons, negations, negative self-talk, worry, and fear are all combinations of feelings and thoughts. And if you can separate them out, focus on the feeling, jumpstart the superior intelligence of the body, you won't have them anymore.
0: Mm. I see. So the feelings get discharged, they get released if you focus on uh, through the action,
1: through yes. Through the action.
0: First of all, I'm going to try to play that back for the listeners. I mean, you've got this concept of culture, and our culture essentially influences a lot of our experience of, you know, pain and and, and the psychological challenges that we we encounter because our culture sort of teaches us to to avoid or not pay attention or focus our our energy on the feelings that. Caused that pain, if you will. Well, is that right?
1: The feeling doesn't cause the pain, the feeling thought causes the pain.
0: The feeling thought. Okay. And the next is the fact that you can make a choice on where to put your attention, right? Attention is the key realization and that you have control over your attention. It just, just doesn't happen. You, you can actually consciously place your attention wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And then the other is you have feelings, and feelings are important. And there are three types of feelings. Mm-hmm anxiety, frustration, and sadness. And knowing the role that they play and the fact that they are important in helping us to really understand what's happening to ourselves and yes. staying with them so that we know what to do. Yes. And when we don't do that, they will tend to attach themselves to a thought. Yes. And when they attach themselves to a thought, they take us to a different space-time and yeah. When they take us to a different space-time, usually we're unaware that that's happening because it wasn't intentional. Right. And because it wasn't intentional, we're unaware of it. We're sort of in this different place. And by realizing where we are, by looking at the context, the contextual information about those thoughts, right? You yeah. said, you know, how to pick up where they are based on the timing, the words, future. The
1: structure of the thought.
0: The structure of the thought. Yes. Yeah. That will tell us if we're in the future or, or in the past. And then once you realize that, then you can actually use your attention that you have control over to change the situation and become intentional. And then your body just figures out what to do. Is that a good...
1: Yes, just one little one little tweak at the very end, which is that once you know where you are in time and space, you know how, what feeling to come back and put your attention on. And once you put your attention on that feeling, it jumpstarts the superior intelligence of the body. And just like the body knows how to heal a cut, it knows how to recalibrate you back to the present moment. And it's, it's like magic.
0: Got it. Really interesting.
1: And it's very simple. I know it sounds very complex, but it's actually very, very simple. And because you just have to use your attention to shift from the content of the thought to the structure and then come back and put your attention on the feeling and that's it. Right. I mean, you know, that's the truth of
0: Yeah. So many times the pain comes from, you know, focusing on the on the content, right? Totally. You're, you're experiencing, totally. you know, that we're not going to hit our sales number this quarter and, you know, I'm going to lose my job and that's going to be bad and you know, you're sitting at your desk uh, thinking like this and you don't realize that
1: you're not present. You know,
0: your your anxiety piggybacked on this future thought. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? And brought, it, it piggybacked on this thought and brought you into the future. And that's where you actually are sitting in your office. You, you you know, someone, an outside observer sees you sitting at your desk, but you're like, you're not there. You're like sometime in the, you some, somewhere in the future.
1: Precisely. Precisely. Seeing
0: yourself getting fired because Precisely. you missed a sale. Precisely. And just realizing that that's where you are and saying, no, no, no. Actually, you're not, you're here. Right. <laughs> Focus on that anxiety and, you know, give it your attention. Right. And suddenly your body just knows what to do with it.
1: Yeah, it does. I just want to say one thing, which is that uh, the model is actually really an energy transfer model, Mm. because it takes an incredible amount of energy to not focus on a feeling that's natural, okay? Then take that feeling and create a thought, and then put the feeling on the thought, and then piggyback the feeling, and then create other thoughts that are going to support that feeling, and then... You know, When you look at your to-do list and all the energy is, is being utilized to create those thoughts and maintain those thoughts, then you're actually exhausted. It's, it's remarkable to me how people can actually do anything because 95% of the thoughts they have are to discharge the
0: feelings. Right, right. That's that's really interesting. Okay, now I have I have some questions that I'd like you to take me through. The first question I have is, you know, obviously this concept of of attention is really about being intentional, right? So yeah. you can have thoughts as long as those thoughts are intentional. Like for example, if I wanna, you know, do a thought experiment to think about how to approach, you know, the sales process for selling my product to a new market and I'm sitting there and I'm sort of using my mind to, you know, think of the different scenarios and I'm going to write them down in my little book. That's fine because I'm 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 just using my mind and and, and body's capability and I'm doing it intentionally. Right. Yes. But if suddenly I'm sitting there and my eyes are like, you know, really far away, sort of like that that long <laughs> stare look. Right. And I don't even realize where I am because right. I was I was thinking about some argument I had with my mom 20 years ago, which is which is triggered by something that happened in this meeting.
1: Right. right. That's
0: not good. Right.
1: So the, the whole idea is that anything that's natural,
0: mm.
1: like human relationships, teamwork, right. et, cetera, et cetera, that's all in your body. But anything that's man made, that hmm. you need to use thought because people have used thought to create these processes. Like I do a lot of work in financial services and they have a mm-hmm. whole model of how to put, you know, invest your money here and do exactly. things here. That all requires thought because it was created by people who think <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. So it's right. not natural and it's not something that you can look in your DNA and learn about.
0: Got it. Okay, now let's, here's my next question. Sure. There's all sorts of content out there. There are books, there are courses that people go to about being present and about, you know, being in the present. And there's now a multi-billion dollar industry in in the app space to, you know, help you stay calm and, you know, meditate. Tell us how that all relates to the self-powerment model.
1: Okay, so the self-powerment model is something that you can use to get present. Once Mm. you get present, then you have access to how the body actually operates. And then you can, that's when you start to go into the quantum world, And that's when you start to see that two things can be at the same place at the same time. Things are waves until you pay attention to them and then there's particles. A lot of the stuff that goes on in the quantum world, you can't possibly access unless you're present and focusing on the information from your body. But once you start focusing on that, that, then it becomes very loud and you can hear it. And it's, how the world of the very small works. And so then you can go down the rabbit hole and you can begin to get comfortable with the way that the, you know, the world of the very small works, I, I talk about it like going, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole and seeing how things really are as opposed to how things are perceived through our five senses. And then the third part is that you figure out, and now this is the exciting part to me, how to apply what you've learned from the quantum world to this macro world.
0: But Faye, the practicing the model, let's yes. say, I just did what you, what we just talked about and described, like yeah. sort of realize you're, you're in a feeling thought and bringing yourself back to the present. Yeah, You know, that is not teaching me about quantum physics. Like I'm not going to your class that you, you took in Cambridge. So what what did you mean by, you know, seeing this what happens in the small versus the big? Are you saying that when you become more present, then you understand your body more and you understand what's happening more? Tell us about that.
1: Yes. Oh, that's that's a really good compliment because not only do you learn about how the very small work, but you get reconnected to your DNA. Mm. So you know how to be a mommy. You don't have to buy a book. And you know how to be a friend. And you know how to be of service. And you're driven by the seven drivers. So when you're present, what drives your behavior are seven forces. And they are service, compassion, integrity, accountability, courage, gratitude and kindness Mm. so when you're driven by those and that those are the five that's on your DNA because people are supposed to be loving to one another and caring of one another and take care of one another and because we're all connected and and when when we see ourselves as separate from rather than connected to and when you're thinking you're separate from but when you're present you're connected to Mm. and it just gives you such and oh and one other thing this is really very very important when you're thinking about something you get infinite Information or data but when you have a direct experience in the present moment you get in formation or pattern and pattern is repeatable and scalable and it integrates the elements and so it provides clarity it provides focus and it gives you a sense of being connected to what's so and so then you can relax in because Buddha said that all suffering comes from the fact that we don't know how reality works We put on our values and our charges and our judgments and our comparisons and our belief systems and all of this other stuff. And it's all covered. Reality is all covered with all of our very personal local domain kinds of things. So when you take those off in the present moment, because those all exist in your mentations, then you can see how reality actually works. And then you can actually do something about it. (gasps)
0: Mm, Interesting. Okay. Another question on the model, and it'll probably be my last. Okay. Maybe second to last. Why do we need to discharge those feelings? It's a great question. And yeah. And what I mean by it is, you know, it's releasing the feelings, right? Why do we, why, why do we need that?
1: Because a feeling comes to give you information and with that information creates an action and that action dissipates the feeling. It just does that naturally. But if you don't pay attention to it and it doesn't jumpstart the superior intelligence of the body, it doesn't dissipate. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it has to find a way to get discharged. Mm. That's how why it usurped thoughts.
0: I see. So using an analogy, it's like the, you know, <laughs> your smoke alarm goes off, right? And it's like buzzing really loudly because, right? you know, you're cooking something and it's making a lot of smoke. Yes. And... Well, you got to listen to the buzzer and realize that that's what's happening. And do an action. you know, take the take the pan, take the pan off the off the <laughs> <laughs> off the flame, and open the window or whatever, so exactly. the buzzer will turn off. Exactly. But
1: if you don't do that, then it'll get bigger and bigger, and then the fire engine will come. And then yeah,
0: exactly, just breath. keep getting worse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Got it. Per- got it.
1: Perfect analogy. That was lovely. Now,
0: what do you mean by superior intelligence? You've used that word several times, and I think. What you're trying to say is that a lot of what we spend our time doing is trying to figure out what to do. Yes. Right. And what you're saying is the feeling is the signal that tells you to bring your attention back. Yes. And... Then what's happening? Where is the intelligence that kicks in?
1: The body knows what to do. Like just let it, okay. like it. How does the body know how to heal a cut, John? It's a, you know mm-hmm. he, the cut gets on Tuesday and you wash it off, you put a Band-Aid on, and then four days later the cut is healed. It knows how to create new cells. It takes stem cells and makes them skin cells. It knows how to coagulate the blood. You know how does it know how to do that?
0: Right. It's encoded in. It's just sort of in, in in the intelligence. I mean, it boggles my mind every day to see to see the amazing things that happen, even with my daughters as, as they're growing. Isn't it
1: remarkable?
0: Yeah, it is remarkable. The essence of what I'm asking though is, you know, so let's use the anxiety, for example, or bring it back to my little, you know, I'm going to not hit the quarter quarterly number. Yes, perfect. Right. COVID is here and, you know, we're missing our sales or we're running out of money and, and I'm sitting there and everybody's counting on me, right? So, so coming back to the CEO C again and, you know, things are in a bad way and it's all on me and I'm getting really anxious. I'm really fearful.
1: No, don't, don't use those two words in the same sentence. You can't use anxious and fearful because anxiety will bring you back to the present and you'll use your energy to be creative and try different things in the moment to see if the old, something innovative will work. Once you go to fear, all the energy goes to creating the stories. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you have no energy left to create pilots and possibilities and creative shifting and whatever.
0: So in feeling thought, I'm experiencing fear, but when I come back to the present, I experienced the anxiety, Precisely. which then triggers me to focus on all these interesting, you know, crazy ideas to, to keep us alive, right? Is that's what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. Not only to keep us alive, but to find innovative and creative ways to deal with the problem.
0: Got it. And so what you're saying is, once you focus on the anxiety, the superior intelligence kicks in, yes. which is basically to trigger you to say, hey, I got to do something about that.
1: <laughs> you, go, you go right into action. You go right, right into action and trying new things and calling new people. And it's almost like that the universe gave me a, an example of that by going to that course. Right, you know, right. Because no way would I have ever picked that in a million years. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so you've, you've been doing this for a host of different industries. I know you've done it for yes. financial services, insurance, and you've worked with... With CEOs, tell, tell us kind of the variety of folks you've worked with, uh, their backgrounds.
1: So I've worked with CEOs. I've worked with executive teams. I've worked with financial services agencies. I've worked with couples. I've worked with children. Mm. I work with families. I'm doing some interesting situation now with a group called Kids at Hope. It used to be called Kids at Risk, and they will go into high-risk schools, and they tell them, don't teach them any academics. They have to be confident first. They have to have a mentor. They have to have somebody who makes them feel special, makes them feel important makes them feel that they can do it. And only then can you begin to bring in the academics. And the the Kids at Hope have been working with teachers and superintendents of schools and probation officers and social workers. But we've decided to take a gigantic leap and start to work with the parents of the kids. And we're going to use the model to teach them how to go into the world of their child rather than demand that the child comes into their world. Mm. It's very exciting.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So let's go through a story. I, I want to choose one transformational story perhaps that you're most proud of, a CEO that you showed up and they're just like paralyzed by, you know, these feelings. And
1: Well, they don't necessarily have to be paralyzed, but they have to want to make what they're doing better. And, and healthier for their people and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, give so, an example. I know that she wouldn't mind. So, could, use
0: a fictitious name, but just take us through. Just tell us a story about someone that you worked with who was a CEO and. Okay,
1: so she, this woman, worked at one company and then she left that and went to another. And she was the senior vice president of marketing. And she decided that she did not like how her team or how the culture of this company was. And so we got her whole executive team together. And we taught them the model and taught them how to relate to each other as a team, where if one person wins, everybody wins, and the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts. And it doesn't matter who gets the right answer. It doesn't, as long as the team gets the right answer, then everybody gets the right answer. We talk about cooperating and helping each other and supporting each other, and they didn't have any more judgments or comparisons of each other or negations, or they didn't compete with one another, they didn't feel guilty that they weren't as smart as the other. They All of that conflict and, and issues that team has with each other dissipated, and the, she then became president, chairman, and CEO of this company, and she speaks of the model as changing the entire way that her culture ha- does business. Wow. Truth be told.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, our listeners are listening to this right now. Maybe they're going through some, you know, challenges right now. Uh I mean, I would imagine a lot of folks are, given what's happening with the pandemic and everything. Give the listeners some simple techniques to try now, or, you know, when they turn off the podcast or or, or get to their office if they're driving, or, you know, or, well, most people aren't driving anywhere these days, but, you know, when they get to a quiet place, what are some simple techniques they could try?
1: Okay. I'm going to give you some simple ones, and then I'm going to give you an overall paragraph about how they can be. Okay. The first one is to watch your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You are creating those thoughts because you are listening to them, so you're the listener who's creating the thoughts. Once you watch the thoughts, then you shift the attention from the story to the structure, and you pick out the time-space words. It's almost like a puzzle. So you're looking at, what if I don't make my numbers this quarter? Okay, That. how about that one? And so we look at numbers, quarter don't, make, what if, okay? So the minute you do a sentence with what if, you already know you're in the future, okay? That's an easy one. Anything after what if, it has no value whatsoever. So you know you're in the future, and once you know you're in the future, then you know you have to come back and put your attention on anxiety. I use an anxiety because people aren't used to paying attention to their body. So I use it as like these butterflies in your stomach. That's the way people describe anxiety when they're describing it. And so you put your attention on the butterflies. How many are there? Are they flying around? Are they on the branches? And the minute you put your attention to the feeling, the body starts to put your its attention on your tush on the seat, your feet on the floor, your computer in front of you. So you're not the bag man anymore, you know, not making your numbers, but you're here in front of your computer and then you start doing actions to create possibilities. It's exactly how it's done.
0: Got it, I see. So the first step is to analyze the thoughts, right? Like watch, watch the thoughts, yeah, just watch them.
1: And go and shift the attention from the content to how the thought is created to pick out the time-space words. Once you pick out the time-space version, it's, it's almost like your GPS. When you go in your car, you know where you want to, you know where the car knows where you are, but you have to program in where you want to be. With my model, we know where we want to go, but we have to figure out where we are.
0: Got it. Just kind of a reverse GPS. Interesting. Yes,
1: exactly reverse. That's
0: cool. Okay, so how about some books and where people can find you and learn, learn more about the model?
1: Okay, so I want to end the the actual talk with this, I would like a CEO who is responsible for the, not only the productivity of their people, but their emotional well-being and their desire to function at their maximum capacity at all times. And so I'm going to read you this paragraph. It's by Henry Stapp, who is a theoretical physicist. And he says, the person who recognizes himself to be an integral component of a universal process that selectively weaves waiting potentials into dynamic new forms that create potentialities should be inspired to engage actively and energetically in the common endeavor to enhance the creative potentials in all of us
0: hmm, interesting
1: that's what i believe the function of a ceo is is to Released,
0: Just to unlock the potential. Unlock
1: the potential of every single person in his company yeah. or her company. Oh, I was gender biased there. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. He, he, his or her. Yeah, and I agree with that. That the it's not about the CEO. It's about the people that are on the team and the company, and helping them achieve their. Yeah.
1: Maximum you know,
0: become their best selves and achieve, you know, their full potential as professionals and people. That's exactly
1: what what Mr. Strapp is saying. Got
0: it. And what book was that from?
1: That is a book from Quantum Buddhism. It's called Quantum Buddhism: Dancing in Emptiness. It's a read. It's a toughie, but okay. you know, it's only 600 pages. But um, it's um, by Graham G. R. A. H. A. M. Smitham S. M. E. T. H. A. M. I wouldn't start with this one. <laughs> Okay. I would start with. What
0: do some people should start with? Yeah. Obviously, they should start with your book, right? Right.
1: First, they should start with my book. It's called The GPS to Self-Powerment and the website, because on the website is a 10-minute video of me doing the model, and they can watch it for free as many times as they want. There's also a six-day quickie course. Just to get, you know, to, to reestablish those six, you know, culture, attention and feelings and thought and time and space. And then then we go over each one of those and then we present the model. And that's also free. You can get it on my website, which is being, B-E-I-N-G dash present P-R-E-S-E-N-T dot com. So the books are one, two, two or three books. One is called Reality is Not What It Seems by Carlo Rovelli, a phenomenal book. The other one is The Strange Order of Things, Life, Feeling, and the Making of Cultures by Antonio Damasio, D-A-M-A-S-I-O. And then just two more classics. One is called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. Hmm. And one is the last one is called Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change. And that's by Pima, P-E-M-A Chadron. C-H-O-D-R-O-N. So those are a few to get you started.
0: Great. We'll put those in the show notes so people can find them. Well, Faye, thanks for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and learn again and reinforce the model. I have been doing my homework and practicing. Good, good. And you're right. Every time I'm watching the thoughts and I'm like, ah, Uh you know, I even speak to myself. I'm like, gotcha, John. (laughs) And then what I do is I I actually do come back and first of all, reorient my attention. Like sort of, I, so I, I listen for, you know, sounds in the room that I'm in. I look at sort of people around me, the colors, everything, just to sort of place myself back in the present. Yes. And then I sort of, you know, I do the, the suggested, you know, get, get the context of the thought that I just had. Right. Yep. And I'm like, ah, I was in the, I was in the future. Yes. And then I, I know what feeling that yes. I'm feeling. And then I go right to the feeling and yep. you're right. It does kick in. Always. It does kick in automatic behavior. Like it's like, it's scary. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh I yeah, right, yeah, right, 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 right. I gotta, I gotta focus. Let me make a phone call. Yes. And it's just like that, you know, yes. it's very handy and I highly recommend it to, you know, All professional leaders anyone listening to this who is in any role, everyone, but especially CEOs who find themselves quite alone many times and yes, many times in the past and they're saying, oh no, you know, I'm going to fail again, or, you know, I shouldn't have taken this role or I made a mistake or they're in the future and they're saying, you know, are we ever going to be as big as we planned to be because something just happened and, you know, they're constantly not in the present moment. Right. Because of the challenges of the role. Because
1: you know, I think not, I think not, John. I think they're not in the present moment because they don't know how to get there. You know. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly what. I, that's a very good point. I, I agree. It's because they they're not even realizing that yeah, exactly uh, they're in these different locations. And I I can speak for myself that that's certainly true. And just by becoming more aware of the fact that that happens and becoming, you know, educated about how it all works, you know, it's it's very powerful. And I think the model and I think in the show notes, if we if we can have a link from your website that gets right to sort of the picture of the model, that would be great. Yeah. So people can have it. And I think. You know, just having that available so it's a guide for them, a GPS to say, okay, where was I? Okay, yeah, that, that that's where I was, and now I know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then just let the body do what it already knows how to do. Yes. So,
1: what a wonderful way to end that! It was a beautiful thing to say.
0: <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Faye. Okay, welcome. and see you, see you soon. soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CEO series on the B Two B Growth Show. Again, I'm John Bellas here from the CEO Playbook. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Faye and I have gone through a lot together, and I've learned so much from her training. I hope you practice the exercises from this episode. You'll be amazed by how well they work. You can find links to the books Faye mentions in the show notes. And to learn more about Faye and the self-powerment model, visit her website at being-present.com. Again, being-present, one word, .com. Please connect with me on LinkedIn on the CEO Playbook page and Twitter. I'm John Belazer, CEO. I'd love to hear from you. Send questions my way or recommendations. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share it with a friend. And if you have a question, join the conversation on Instagram. We have a growing following there. We post inspiration, updates on new articles, and more. Or visit our website, CEOPlaybook.co. That's CEOPlaybook.co. And don't forget to sign up for our popular weekly newsletter called Mental Candy. Until next time, keep pushing and stay healthy out there. Are you currently making the transition from founder to CEO? Are you a first-time CEO in the middle of a huge challenge? Or are you just curious about what it takes? Then you need to read CEO Playbook. It's an online publication full of stories from real CEOs and practical sage advice for leaders of high-growth companies. Go to CEOplaybook.co to start reading some amazing content for free. You'll find out why over 400 CEOs go here to learn what it's really like being CEO. Judy was boring. Hello.
1: Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>